I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. And now, giving you access to the locker rooms and the minds of the independent scene, here are the curtain jerkers of pro wrestling podcasting, Mike Crockett. Actually, I prefer to be called Maestro. And the kingpin, Brian Malonis. He's the win, and nobody beats him. This is the wrestling podcast about nothing on the New Age Insiders Wrestling Network. Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, episode 86, presented by BDARadio.com. There are so many wrestling podcasts out there covering every facet of the business. So we went to BDA Radio and said we had a different idea for a podcast. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. They said, what's wrestling podcast about? We said nothing. And thankfully they said, we think we have something here. So here we are. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast, currently on an extended hiatus from the ring, and joining me as always is a veteran of the New England Independent Matt Wars, the irresistible force, the immovable object, the zero dollars richer kingpin, Brian Malonis. Yeah, this bet thing with the For the Pops podcast is a little out of hand here. I got my paycheck. We're recording this on Saturday morning. I got my paycheck last night from Chaotic Wrestling, Jamie Jimikowski's last show as owner of the promotion. And I jokingly said to them that, hey, I'd work his last show for free if him and Scotty even got out two episodes of For the Pops. And uh, Mike, why don't you open that check and... uh, and tell me what that check reads. Yeah, it literally does say zero dollars and zero one hundredths. Yeah. Zero point zero zero. Yeah, that was my payday last night. Now, are you going to put this in the bank just for fun? <laughs> or are you going to frame it? Is it reminiscent of your bank account, Mike? <laughs> slightly. <laughs> slightly, perhaps. <laughs> Seemingly. <laughs> so, yeah, you worked for free. That's very good. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Dirtbag. I'll take it up with a new owner. <laughs> the new owner who was announced last night, Brian Fury, who might have teased it a little bit on this podcast. Yeah, does that does that mean we have to like you're gonna, you're gonna start wanting to have him on again because you're gonna try to weasel your way back in? Well, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> we'll see. I'm sure you're working in a in a uh, behind the scenes capacity already, and by behind the scenes, I don't mean like backstage, but like invisible. You're contributing, but staying invisible to people not involved. I don't think so. I think you wouldn't tell me if you were. Well, that's true. (laughs) That's true. But uh, something else that's going on in our world, Kingpin, is the WPAN.com, the website. We can launch it now? Yes, the website (laughs) is live. It is live. So go to the WPAN.com. That is our official website. That is where you can find all the archives. Well, not actually all the archives yet. We're still working together. There's a lot of episodes. <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not working. You're working. Yes. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll give you credit where credit's due. This is going to be the hub. If you're a little confused by what we're doing here with the Monday episodes on one feed, the Thursday episodes on another feed, just go to the WPAN.com. You can find both of our weekly podcasts there. WPAN. <laughs> <laughs> we do it on Mondays on the New Age Insiders Wrestling Network, and on Thursdays, we're on our own feed, so make sure you check out that and subscribe to both of those feeds. But today, on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing on the New Age Insiders Wrestling Network, we've got your promo about nothing coming up and a whole lot more, but first, uh, let's pull back the curtain, Brian, because... The audio is such that I can't seamlessly (laughs) do this. We have a guest on today, a WWE representative, if you will. Uh, Let's not say representative. Representative. uh, He is an independent contractor. Okay. (laughs) And he works with the company. He does great work. He's our old friend, Makazi. So let's go to our discussion this past week with the one and only Makazi. 
All right, we are joined by a New England guy, a guy who we worked with in a number of promotions, including Chaotic Wrestling, where he is actually a Triple Crown champion. But he left it all behind to go where the real money is: costume designing for WWE. Uh, you've seen it. You've seen him on Up, Up, Down, Down, and now you're hearing him on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing. It's our pal Makazi. Hello, sir. What up, y'all? It's good to talk to you guys again. It's been a long time. Yes, indeed. Yeah, we all kind of uh, kicked around chaotic wrestling for a while, and uh, I mean, everyone knows. I think that you are a professional wrestler. Uh, uh, you're out of the game right now, though, right? Uh, yeah, out of the hiatus. I like to tell people, like, you know, never say never. But, you know, I, I get offers sometimes to go, like, work shows in New England again. And I'm always like, yeah, maybe, you know, we'll see how things go. But, you know. <laughs> you don't want to come up here now, uh, Mikazi. It's like... What? Is, is, it, like is it like a wasteland? No, well, no, no. The the indie scene is good. I was just talking about, like, this time of year. It's, it's freezing cold today. Why not? <laughs> I love... Like, I'm a New England guy. I love that kind of weather. <laughs> well, I'll trade with you then. <laughs> Okay, I have this I have this wool jacket that's in my closet and the only time I get to pull it out is whenever I go like overseas to the UK or when we do shows in the New England in the winter. But like it pains me not to be able to put on my Bruins uh scarf all year round. It sucks. You're not like one of these Floridians who like it's 70 degrees and you pretend it's cold out? <laughs> well, I Okay, so yes, no, not want to say yesterday. A couple of days ago we were in LA and I was walking around in jeans and a t-shirt, completely fine. And there were people there in like wool jackets with sweaters and uh, scarves on. It had it was t-shirt weather for me, but it had to be like sixty five. And I was just walking around like, whoa! Like these guys are really like freezing up. People were like, buttoning their jackets all the way up to their neck. Yeah, it's crazy. Sixty five is short weather around here. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's that's comfortable for me. That's I walk around Boston all day in that weather. Well, uh, Mikazi, I'm glad we got you before Mania season. I know that's your crazy time of year. I said in the top, you're a costume designer, uh, but some people are still stuck. They they talk about a seamstress or a seamster. Now, how do you feel about that terminology as opposed to costume designer? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, okay. Technically, seamstress. Uh, seems. I don't know if seamster is an actual word. I think it's just something that people <laughs> made up that sounds right. But like right. technically, yeah, technically I'm hired to be backstage and like do seamstress work. But if anything needs to be repaired or if anything needs to be worked on for that night, like that's what I do. So technically seamstress works. I work in the seamstress area, but like my forte is costume designing, designing gear, you know, fabricating it, you know, all that stuff. So now you are you just on the road for televisions and pay-per-views or yeah when when i'm on the i'm on the road basically anything that's like televised pay-per-views tvs i'm backstage at I haven't been backstage at any of the live events or anything like that i don't do backstage at any of the takeovers though sometimes you'll find me back there just watching it. but that's where you started right you started doing stuff at the nxt level right well, okay, so when I was in NXT, when uh, Mercedes or, you know, Sasha Banks, so the lay person, uh, <laughs> when she got signed to NXT, I quit my job at Friendly's back in Massachusetts and moved down to Florida with her. And, you know, for the first year, I just, I didn't have a job. I just stayed home and did whatever I could to help her and support her in any way possible to help her dream come true. And uh, I eventually just started making her gear. And pretty soon, you know, Guys just need gear all the time, and the more gear guys you have, the better. So I just was asked by a couple of guys to start making gear. It was I think Percy Watson and Mojo were the first couple of guys besides Mercedes. Next thing you know, I was doing about you know half to sixty percent of the roster, and then uh, 
one year, uh, I think it was 2015, the WrestleMania in Santa Clara, I had heard that they wanted to hire me to just come in and help out with Mania that year because, you know, things get crazy during that time of year. And I was actually doing extra work in Tampa and Orlando at the time. And I got pulled aside by Carano and Triple H. And they asked me if I wanted to come in for two months to just help out with the Mania uh, time. So I did that. It was really good, really fun time. And, you know, when that two months was up, they were like, hey, we want to extend your contract for another year if you're up for it. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I had a lot of fun. Let me do that. And they extended me again and again. And next thing you know, like it's been almost three years that I've been there now and it's going strong. That's great, man. Isn't that funny how, you know, much like me and Crockett, you're out there on the indies, you're busting your hump, you're taking you're taking bumps, you're going to TVs, and then, and, and that's this is the thing that a lot of people don't realize is, if you love this business, if, if you truly just love this business and want to be a part of it and want to have a job in professional wrestling, there are jobs out there, which is great. You get to be a part of uh, of the business still, and and. and that's a great thing, at least from my standpoint. It's 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 awesome that you know you get to be a part of this and a part of that that machine. That's fantastic. Oh yeah, like there's tons of guys that like recognizable guys that you know work backstage. You know their their in ring career is over, but they still have you know spots doing things backstage, producing guys like you know Dean Malenko, Scott Armstrong, guys producing. Um, Billy Kidman works on the production side. Like a lot of guys who just want to be involved in the wrestling business. When the in ring time stops they still find a way to be a part of the business. And I think that's what shows like the people that really have a love for this because you got to have a love for this business. Yeah. And the more different ways you can contribute to wrestling, the better chance you have, like, like with you of getting a job in professional wrestling. And it's, I mean, it's a great spot to be in right now, I think. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, when I was coming up on the Indies, like I pretty much did everything I could in order to give me an edge as far as being in the wrestling business. Like, you know, when I graduated high school, and I had been training at the time. I went to broadcasting school because I knew that might help me as far as acting and on-camera work in wrestling. I started acting while I was down in Florida. I was acting in short films, starring in a couple of short films. because I knew that would help me. As far as making gear goes, when I started training, I was a senior in high school. So I took a sewing class because the Hardy Boys were big at the time and Matt made their gear. So I figured if he could do it, I could do it. So I just parlayed a little small sewing class that taught me how to use a machine into, you know, a career that I have now where I'm, you know, it's very lucrative and it keeps me in the business that I love. And, wh- and while you were wrestling, you didn't have to rely on waiting on some of these gear makers who seemingly hate to take your money. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Like I used to see people like the fighting that goes into, you know, getting good gear. And I mean, good gear. Like when I started, I didn't make great gear at all, but like, I would make gear for my friends. I would test out new techniques on myself. So, you know, gear is just, it's very hard to come by and finding a good gear person is like, it's like hitting gold. So a lot of guys, you know, they'll just try out everyone in order to see who they can, you know, work with. And when they find someone they like, they try to stay there with that person. But I mean, it's long hours, hard work. So I can see how some gear guys just get burnt out after a while. Yeah, you know, hey Mike, you know, I had a guy and uh, he went off and got a job with the WWE. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in a nice pair of black and yellow 
uh, pants that had the uh, the little bit of a Steelers feel to it. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were one of the go-to guys backstage in terms of uh, you know getting gear made, especially on the quick. Because yeah, like you said, all these guys that have uh, long queues of stuff going all the way back that you know it takes forever to get gear done. But uh, would you consider that back at that time like a small business, or were you just kind of uh, having fun and just kind of tinkering around? For me, it was just a hobby. I liked making gear for my friends. And like, it was also a way for me to just test out new techniques. Like if I'd never made a pair of biker tights before and I wanted to try it out, I'd just make myself one. And then if I liked it, next thing you know, someone else asked me and, you know, that leads into me making the Logan's gear. And uh, it's just, I wasn't the best businessman in wrestling. So I wrestled like 15 years and never had one piece of merch, but I would go to a show and I'd you know, make 20, 50 bucks on a show, but then I'd walk away with a lot more money because I was delivering gear at the same time. So it was another way of just being able to come home with like enough cash in the pocket to fund my little wrestling uh, dream. (laughs) (laughs) So you said, you know, you're making like 20 to 50 bucks or whatever doing these independent shows. And where did you start actually? So I started training in the year 2000, summer 2000. Uh, in Chicopee, Massachusetts. And I uh, started with a good friend of mine, Mark Rattel, who's uh, Sterling, Mark Silver, or Silver Mark Sterling. Smart Mark, Smart Mark Sterling. Yeah. He does a podcast on Antonio Thomas. Yeah. Well, that, there you go, Tom. That's another guy that started with us. He's, he came in about a month after we did. Yeah. We started in this little warehouse in Chicopee under Kevin Landry and Johnny Idol, Aaron Morrison. We'd have to climb those five flights of stairs every. Uh, Tuesday and Thursday and just go take bumps with them and just learn the business. It was very uh, hard, hard times, but it worked out really well. Early on, like uh, you hooked up with Jason Blade and had a tag team for quite a bit. You actually did some stuff in Ring of Honor, right? Yeah. So that actually came about like really, really, I don't want to say awkwardly, but it was funny because, you know, Bobby Cruz had gotten, who was the announcer for ROH, had gotten Jason Blade in there, and they were really good friends. And uh, they decided they wanted to use him as a tag team. So, you know, they asked Blade anybody who he'd be able to tag team with that was he thought was good. So immediately he threw out my name. So I literally got brought in without even having to, like, try out or anything like that. And I remember the first match I had there, and I think it was in Wilmington, Connecticut or something like that. It went great. It was like the crowd reaction was really good. Uh, Gabe seemed to be really happy with it. I will say like, you know, they were expecting this high level tag team with all these double team moves, you know, just high level action from us. And in all honesty, like our first match in ROH was maybe the third time we'd ever tagged together. I mean, we were friends, but we had never actually like wrestled with each other a lot. And thinking back now, like my time in ROH, like I'll be the first to tell everyone that this wasn't the greatest for me as far as wrestling quality, because I was at that point in my career where I thought I was starting to make big moves. So I ended up wrestling too safe. I was wrestling not to mess up instead of wrestling, you know, the style I know that I can do. So I'll be the first to tell people that, yeah, like my quality of wrestling there wasn't what I could do. But at least you had matching gear though, right? Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) We walked in, our gear was matching. It was awesome. (laughs) <laughs> well uh the team of Mikazi and jason blade that's actually what brought you to chaotic wrestling right yeah i i, I believe uh what was it fat pants yeah todd sinclair okay there for the people that don't know nicknames <laughs> he was uh i think he was he was like the head ref at roh but i think he was doing booking at chaotic at the time I think so yeah 
But uh, yeah, so Blade and I used to travel with him and Bobby Cruz to ROH shows, and he decided to bring us in for as a tag team in Chaotic, and that's what you know got me started there. And Chaotic ended up becoming like a second home for me. You know, I, ever since we got in there, I would just I stayed loyal to that crew from what was I think it was like 2005 until until the point that I left. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, you were a fixture there in Chaotic Wrestling for a long time. And of course, you faced a number of times one of the other fixtures in Chaotic Wrestling, our very own kingpin, Brian Malonis. Brian, <laughs> uh, you could be honest. He's right here, but you could be honest. How'd you feel about working with the, the great Mikazi? And not just because he's on this podcast, which you'll accuse me of doing, but legitimately one of my one of my favorite uh, favorite guys to to wrestle. I always felt like we had great chemistry and yeah, I never had a doubt when we went in there that it was gonna be it was gonna be something good and uh, always super creative ideas and obviously we kinda got that classic thing of big guy, little guy going on, but I thought we I thought we told some great stories and uh I, I think it's me you might have defeated for the New England title, is that correct? <laughs> I think it was it was either you or Bauer. One of the one of, I, it was one of the bigger guys, but might have been both. <laughs> Were you multiple time? Uh new I think I was multiple time New England champion, multiple time uh tag champion, one time heavyweight champion. Actually my one of my favorite stories about Chaotic, which it actually has nothing to do with wrestling, it was against you. So we were in the PAV and uh, we were going over our match. I think someone was there that was like, he was one of your lackeys at the time. And I remember we were going over our match and I had pitched the idea of, you know, me going to the top, you follow me up, shot, 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 rolling powerbomb. And you were like, yeah, you know, I don't know if we should do that because that would look a little too contrived because I don't really go to the top. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that would look a little too like, you know, convoluted or whatever. And I remember the kid looking at us and he just, like he had never heard words that big before. And he had this <laughs> dumbfounded look on his face. And it was hilarious to me. I was like, oh, I just, this kid literally just learned something right in front of my eyes. God, I hope it was Julian. <laughs> that sounds like Julian star to me. I really don't remember who it was. I remember him just like, after we said that, he just goes, what are you guys talking about? And it just made me laugh. Like, yeah. we're gonna, well, for the, for the purposes, because he's been on this podcast previously, we're going to say it was Julian. <laughs> yes. Happily. Julian, you just learned a couple like four syllable words there or something. <laughs> oh, he's long forgot them by now. <laughs> he knows some four letter words, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you also found your way onto Monday Night Raw. Yes. That was actually really fun. Like uh we in two thousand twelve, June two thousand twelve. I remember this clearly, and I'll tell you why why in a second. But um in June two thousand twelve I got to do extra work at the XL Center in Hartford. And, you know, back then they were doing the whole Ryback challenge and where he would, you know, challenge two locals. And they ended up picking uh, myself and Scotty Slade, presumably because we were the smallest guys there. It also helped out that at the time, guys like Hawkins and Fandango and Kofi were all on the roster, which they still are now. But like, I was all good friends with them just by traveling the indies with them coming up. So they all pitched for me to be used. And yeah, so they used us for the uh, for the match, and I just remember being so nervous, like way more nervous than I should have been. I felt like I should have been ready for that moment, but it came, and I was so nervous that I remember I was just like pacing back and forth. I had only eaten like one lamb chop the entire day because I was so nervous that I had to cut a promo. Ugh. Thinking back, it was a great experience, but I wish I hadn't been that nervous so I could take it in. I remember walking through the curtain, and it was almost like tunnel vision. Like I could see the ring and everything clearly, but the crowd and everything else was just a big blur. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's a big thing. I mean, in addition to doing the match, like you said, you're doing a you're cutting a promo on the way down to the ring. That's not really the usual kind of stuff for an extra. 
Well, yeah, like I tell people all the time, like on that day, it was my and my first time being an extra. I actually had got to make an entrance, cut a promo, and have a match on Monday Night Raw. Like, and that's really unheard of as far as extras go. So very much so. <laughs> yeah. So after that, you decided I'm done. That's enough. I did it all. Well, all right. So, at, so actually, that's again, that's what I was going to tell you because at the time, it hadn't been known for a while. But you know, Mercedes and I had been dating for a while. And maybe about a month or so before she had gotten the call that she was going to be, you know, picked up and hired and we were going to be moving to Florida for FCW. So like at the time, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with wrestling. And then all of a sudden that came and I got on TV and I got to do all those things on TV. So part of me thought, you know, that was almost like karma. Like, okay, you know what? You always wanted to be on TV for WWE and the moment just came. Now, if you felt like stepping back and just doing what you can to support her, it's good because you got the opportunities that you were looking for. So yeah, like I felt like I felt okay, you know, slowing down my wrestling career and just throwing all my support towards hers because I had always worked to be on WWE TV and I got that moment. It just happened to come literally a month or two before we moved down to Florida. So I always felt like that was, you know, the world telling me, okay, it's time to switch the gears around to more important things. That's awesome, man. I mean, the one thing I will say is, is for those of uh, you know those people listening that aren't familiar with you, a, a fantastic in-ring performer, uh, and a guy who, if you had continued your wrestling career, I have no doubt with the way things are working today, I, th- I think you'd be either on the indies or, or or someplace else. I think you'd be doing all right if you had continued. But that's uh, you know that's commendable to support somebody in that way. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it kind of felt like the universe was telling me that because when I got to Florida. I hadn't been doing much of anything, just, you know, making gear and helping Mercedes out. And then I started taking up indies down here again. And I started building a name for myself in Florida, wrestling in Miami and Tampa and all that stuff. And it was starting to go good too, you know, and then I got extra work again on uh, WWE. So I felt like it was starting to like snowball again. And the opportunity came again to like step away from wrestling and do something else within the wrestling industry. And, you know, me taking that, it kind of felt like, yeah, I wanted to be in wrestling, but the universe was telling me, hey, your place isn't inside the ring. It's in there, but away from the ring. So were you hired by WWE while you were still taking independent bookings? Or was that before you were hired? So I got hired by WWE uh, February of uh, 2015. And right before I started, like the week before, I had had a match with Chris Hero at Ronin in uh, Miami. It was a great match. Crowd went nuts for it. I had a blast working with Hero. And I felt like, okay, that's the best time to step away. Like, that's a good match to step away from. I can step away with my head held high and just dive deep into making gear. Side note, like, a week later, I was backstage at NXT just finishing up a shirt for Ty Dillinger. And they asked me, like, hey, uh, so like, oh, yeah, yeah, tag match between you and Jason Jordan tonight if you want. I was like, yeah. I ran home, grabbed my stuff. I was like, dude, I just wrestled 20 minutes with Hero the week before, a five-minute tag match with Jordan, no problem. Next thing you know, end of the match comes, I get knocked out cold. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I went from leaving resting on a high note to leaving on a low note. It was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it, I was fine. It wasn't. It wasn't too serious. I got back. I was completely fine. Recalled everything. Like no, uh, no, like residual effects or anything. It's just twenty seconds of my life blanked out like that. I don't remember. Oof. Yeah, it was you and Jordan and the Vaudevillains, right? Yeah, I took a, and it was what what made me more upset. Not upset, but like it kind of like. The spot came where I got knocked out. Like it was literally the last spot before the finish of the match. Like the match was going great. 
The crowd reaction was awesome. I was getting sub-zero chance. Uh, <laughs> so it was going good. And literally right before, like 10 seconds before the finish, that happens. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so... So the sub-zero chance for people that don't know, you would wear like a half mask that like covered up to your nose, right? Yeah. So the beginning of my career from say 2001 to about 2007, I wrestled without a mask. You know, just normal guy, Asian guy, tights. I would go out wrestle. I'd do flips. You're a normal high flyer. And I remember one time when uh, I want to say Nova was uh, backstage at Chaotic. They were, it was right, right when Kofi got uh, hired. Yeah. He had mentioned that he goes, Yo, you should really dress to go out there, dress like Bruce Lee or something. Something that's a little more, you know, within the character. That's something that gives a little more sense of character so that the crowd can connect with you a little more. And I never really thought about that. And so, like, I started tossing around the idea of wearing a half mask because I'd always loved ninjas and stuff like that. And it just felt like it would give the crowd a reason to watch me and believe in what I do. Like before that, I was just an athletic guy doing cool moves. But once I started wearing the ninja mask and acting in that way, I felt like it allowed the crowd to connect with me more. So when they saw me, they'd be like, oh yeah, you know what? He's a ninja. That's how ninjas normally move. So now they're taking the whole athletic thing out of the way and really paying attention to the story I was trying to tell. So I felt like it was a way for the crowd to really get you know emotionally connected. So that was your last match as of now, right? The NXT match that that never even aired on TV, right? No, they ended up cutting that out. And I think they aired like a Finn Balor uh, package. Um, Yeah, as of right now, that's been my last match that I was. And that was about two and a half years ago. And like you say, never say never, right? Well, let's, let's just say I've gotten offers from very prominent places to be in prominent tournaments. I will really say which, but I ended up turning them down because... The timing just wasn't right. I see. Huh. Mm-hmm. So you said you started, you got a two-month deal, basically, when you first started for WrestleMania season, I guess, in 2015, right? Like you said? Yes, sir. And how was it finding your place there uh, with the, the costume designers that are there already? Was it kind of a little awkward getting accustomed? Well, in all honesty, like, so the ladies there, they're actually one of the ones that pitched the idea of you know me joining them because uh i think a few months before mercedes had done a loop like it was like the after christmas loop and uh it was like the msg show and she was backstage at raw and she was walking by and they saw her jacket and her gear and they were like wow that looks awesome and they're like they asked her who had done it so she told them that i did and when i went and did extra work like the first time in florida Paige brought me by them and said hey this is you know sasha's husband or whatever and you know he, and they were like oh yeah we saw the gear that you made sasha it was awesome we loved it and all this stuff and then when mania time came around and they needed extra help i remember them saying that they had like tossed the idea like hey why don't we bring sasha's husband to try out and see what goes down there and i've yet to have one issue with them like i i love working with julie and terry they're amazing at what they do i mean they've been doing this for over 30 years, they're, they're literally the first seamstresses that the company ever hired. And just to show you their pedigree of what they can do, like Julie has, right now she does everything for like Orton, but back in the day, she pretty much made everything that Shawn Michaels wore ever. Terry has made every single thing that The Undertaker has ever wore. Like they are really good at what they do. 
Yeah, when you think about pro wrestling, it's the the gear. Gear is iconic when you think of the way people look and the things they wear, and it, and it's crazy the recall that you can have for guys who actually switch up their gear. That you can recall certain things they wear at certain events. You mentioned Shawn Michaels. You talk about like WrestleMania 12. He wore the the white gear. So it, the gear is something that is it's iconic. So speaking of WrestleMania 12, Shawn Michaels, so this past uh, Mania in Orlando, uh, Mercedes's jacket that she wore out there was inspired by Shawn's WrestleMania 12 gear. It was that the way his jacket was like almost it was like strappy and almost see through. And I remember I wanted to do something like that for Mercedes because it was so iconic to me. I just whenever you think of Shawn, to me, you think of that WrestleMania 12 outfit. Absolutely. So you say like beyond that sewing class that you took, do you have really no like professional training? I'm I'm completely uh, self-taught. Like sewing class basically taught me how to use a machine and everything else was just me buying fabric and teaching myself how to how to do things. Anytime I wanted to try something new, I would just make myself a new set of gear just to see how it would come out. Yeah, I mean, like trunks and tights are one thing, but jackets, that's like a whole another animal working with leather and all that kind of stuff. That's that just practice. So sometimes it's just, you know, going out there and trying it. I remember the first jacket that I made that actually got some. Uh, well, I think it was the first jacket I made, period. But that got any kind of like traction as far as people seeing it was the first jacket that Mercedes wore in NXT. The It's the black one with the SB belt and yep. the uh, shoulder cutouts. I remember her just saying she wanted to get like a jacket that was, you know, bossy, that was blinged out, that can, you know, that she could wear out and people would be captivated by it. So I just said, I don't know how to do it, but I can figure it out. And I just figured it out. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy because like, uh, again, this past uh, jacket for WrestleMania in Orlando, like normally we make patterns for our gear. Like, you know, I'll make a pattern for like Sami Zayn's tights. And the next time I need to make his tights, I'll just whip out my pattern. I'll cut out the base and then everything else I'll figure out as I go. But with that WrestleMania jacket, the idea I had in my head was I it was WrestleMania 12, Shawn Michaels, and I wanted to use uh, like a multicolor crystal look. So I literally put the fabric on the ground, grabbed a pair of scissors, and I would look at it, and I would start cutting. And I remember Julian Terry looking at me like, they're like, I have no idea how you did that without a pattern. Like, you literally just grabbed a pair of scissors and started going to town, and next thing you know, you had that jacket. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I, you're talking to probably two – I'll speak for you. I feel comfortable speaking for you here, Mike. Two guys with no talent when it comes to anything of this nature at all. it's it's crazy to me like sometimes yeah sometimes you just you just have to like dive into the deep end like i know plenty of times one example would be Corey graves i was making his uh skinny jeans when he was in nxt when he first came to me he goes hey you know i wanted to do like skinny jeans that you know could stretch and he's like yeah could you do that i was like yeah yeah hell yeah i can do that and as soon as he walked away, I was like, dude, I've never made jeans in my life. How am I going to do this? And, <laughs> and I remember just sitting there, like trying to figure it out. And I just grabbed one pair of my jeans and started looking at it. I'm like, all right, like I have his measurements. I'm looking at my jeans. So I know how it should be set up. I said, I can do this. So I just, again, I figured it out. You're like the wrestling <laughs> gear rain man. <laughs> That's kind of how you got to do it. Like if you keep doing stuff you know how to do, you're never going to come up with anything new. And I, I, I kind of pride myself on like 
pushing the bar a little bit, like just testing my creativity. Sometimes they're going to be great. Sometimes they're not going to be. But the goal is to create something that's instantly recognizable and iconic to wrestling fans. Like nowadays, if you think of straps on the arm, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to think of Sasha Banks. There's just certain things. And that's what I want. I want to create something that people can look back at and like, yeah, like that design is inspired by this person that like I created for it. Yeah, I mean, is, is it cool now to see, because in, in just thinking of Sasha, but you see basically, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands now of little girls who have bought her Halloween costume, and that's something that, that you helped create. How cool does that feel? It brings such joy to my heart to see that. Like, you have no idea. One of the coolest things I ever saw was when we got a chance to go to Mattel, and they showed us, you know, all the new Barbies they were coming out with, and... All of a sudden, they pulled back the curtain and they had all the Barbies and it had it had gear on there that I made and I was just like, wow! Like <laughs> some of my gears on a Barbie, like dude, is this is this life? Like it's crazy right now. <laughs> that Barbie is uh, sitting in my house uh, right now, <laughs> and it doesn't belong to me. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it did, I wouldn't blame you. If you did, I wouldn't. Blame you. But like and like seeing little girls not only wear her Halloween costume but take the time and effort to make their own little version of Mercedes's outfits. It's like, it's amazing to me to be able to inspire people so much that they take the time and effort out of their life to do that. It's just, it's, you can, you can't ask for more. So something that I was always a little confused with when it came to the costume designers backstage, you're being paid by the company, but you're working with the talent, right? It's not something that's handed down from the office saying that we want this design. You're working directly with the talent, right? Sometimes, yes. Uh, well, most of the time, yes. Sometimes, no. A lot of times, it's the talent and me just sitting down. Sometimes they have a clear view of what they want. Sometimes they're not really sure what they want. So we'll just brainstorm and compromise and try to figure something out. But then other times, you know, if someone's getting a repackage, sometimes a company will hand you a uh, design and say, hey, this, this person's getting repackaged. This is what we want to do for them. Can you do it? And to me, it's not really a matter of if I can't do it, it's if I have time to, because nowadays I'm handling so many people's gear that you just don't have time to work on everything. But yeah, it's sometimes it's coming from the office. Sometimes it's coming from the person. You never know. And most of the time, once that first uh, look is out the door, then you can really start playing with it and trying to find a design that the person's comfortable with. So, you know, like one of the things recently was uh, Jason Jordan's one where he switched to the biker tights and you know we weren't sure where we wanted to go with it so that first one kind of leaned directly towards the design that was given then after that we started playing with the colors adding a little bit of black trim just making it really pop so that it kind of like fit his skin tone a little better but i feel like it's going to go in a really good direction pretty soon we're going to be able to start getting complex with it do you find yourself like you're working with different talents do you find yourself like just on your own kind of just starting to think about like, okay, what would look good on this guy? You're not, you're not even, they haven't even necessarily approached you, but you're just like brainstorming on your own, just getting inspiration. I literally find inspiration in everything. I remember just walking through like downtown, like San Antonio. And I remember looking at the inside of a hotel lobby and seeing something. I was like, dude, that's a really cool, like geometric shape. So I snapped a picture of it and you know, that's just logged in. Eventually, at some point, I might find someone and say, hey, you know, if I can use this geometric pattern on them, it would look really good. Uh, other times, I'll just see something and I'll snap a picture and I'll send it to them. Like, hey, I saw this. I think this would look really cool. With 
Uh, one example would be the Usos. Their look now is very much street clothes. So a lot of times we'll just, if I see anything that I think they'll like, I'll snap a picture, send it to them. And if they like it, we'll try to figure out a way of incorporating it. That's tremendous. So what would you say a typical day is when you arrive at the building, like at raw at, when would you get there? Like uh, one, 2 PM? I usually get there about an hour before call time. I like getting there, setting up and grabbing something to eat before I actually have to start to work. And then most of the time I get in, I find out what needs to be done for that day for the show or for the company. So we'll take care of that, whether it's, you know, working on props for the show, fixing whoever's gear that needs to be fixed for the show, taking measurements. Then after all that's done, then I can start working on the projects that I'm working on as far as new wrestlers go or new gear. Uh, What most people don't realize is like, you know, it never stops for us. So the minute we leave the arenas and come back home, I come back home and I have my workshop at my house and I'm still working here. Like it's never ending. It's to the point where a lot of times you just have to make time for yourself because if you don't make time for yourself, you're going to be working 24-7. And I alluded to it from the top of the uh, conversation here, but WrestleMania time has to be absolutely nuts, right? It should be the most nuts time. And it is because you know, that's when everybody really likes to go complex with the gear. That's when they like to pull something out of the hat that they wouldn't normally do. It's an extravaganza and you want that glamorousness. You want that, that show stopping appeal. But at the same time, you know, with the network, we have pay-per-views like twice a month and everybody wants to debut new gear at pay-per-views. You know, you got two rosters now. So it's literally never ending. Like at one point, a couple months ago, actually, you know, I want to say September, October, November, we had a pay-per-view every other week. You know, you'd get done with gear for one pay-per-view and you'd immediately start on the gear for the next pay-per-view. And you had two weeks to do that. But then as soon as that's done, you're right back onto the other roster. So it just doesn't stop sometimes. And, you know, sometimes you just got to just tell people, like, all right, I got to take a couple of days off to just like get my mind right because I'm getting cabin fever just sitting in my house sewing all day. <laughs> I remember talking with Kofi uh, quite a few years back now, but where he was talking about it. It's not, it's not mandated by the office, but it's certainly uh, would not look favorably if you were on pay-per-view and didn't have something new to, uh, to wear for pay-per-view. Well, it's not so much something new. Well, I know some guys, Kofi, one of them being like, they just, they love having new gear. They love having new looks. And it is, it's very favorable to where it's from a marketing standpoint, it's whenever you keep having new gear, new looks, it allows for a lot more, you know, marketability, you know, it just looks good on TV. Action figures. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The one thing that is, you know, kind of frowned upon is just showing up with really dingy gear, like. You don't want to show up, you know, with the same dingy gear week in, week out, and just, it doesn't look good on you. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, it definitely does. Absolutely. So, I mean, Kofi, uh, the New Day, fantastic. Do you work on the New Day's gear? Uh, Actually, I don't. They actually get their gear from uh, Main Event Wrestling. They've been working with those guys for years. I know Woods and Kofi have been going to them for years. And, you know, once E hooked up with New Day, he started using them as well. Yeah, like one thing I try to tell people is that if you find a good gear guy that you're comfortable with, stick with them. Like nothing hurts more than having a loyal customer just all of a sudden leave and go to someone else. But at the same time, the workload becomes so tremendous that I tell people you should have two or three people that make your gear just because I might not be able to do it. So someone else can hop on it. 
And if they do, me personally, I am not offended by it. I feel like you need to do what's best for your character and what's best for your career. And if that means going to someone else to get new gear, that's completely fine with me. I will be here to help you out when you want to get gear from me as well. Yeah, it's just if you have someone in the pocket that you are comfortable with, stay loyal to them because it pays a dividend in the end. So let's talk about some of your favorite designs then. I'm sure some of Sasha's stuff is some of your favorite stuff, right? Definitely. One of the reasons being is because she gets so much gear, like so much gear that it's forced me to start playing with new color combinations and pattern combinations. Like I feel like, and you'll, you'll notice it on TV, like you'll see certain color combinations that are always used black, white, and red, uh, blue and yellow, like blue and silver. Those are combinations that are tried and true. They're always going to look good. And they're always going to you know, pop on screen. But with Mercedes getting so much gear, I've played with so many different color combinations. So now I'm doing uh, black and copper, purple and green, just trying to find ways of making it look unique to that person and making it look like something you hadn't seen before. Anybody else that you can think of that you uh, really want to point out as some of your favorites in terms of the gear that you've made for them? Uh, it's it's so hard. Like They're all your children, right? <laughs> I love yeah, I love the stuff I do for Bailey. Like it, I make so much gear now that sometimes like I have to write receipts for people, and I completely like I'm like, hey, I'm two months behind because I'm just I keep making gear. Um, I do love the uh, the referee jersey that I made for Shane uh, for SummerSlam because. We were trying to find the right fabric that had the right, you know, weight and pattern to it. And what people don't know is referee baseball jerseys, they just don't make them. So I had to purchase actual referee shirts and cut those up and use that fabric to make the jerseys. So wow. it's, it's, it's stuff like that where like you don't expect it to be as hard, but then all of a sudden the time comes and it is, but you want to come through. So you just do whatever you can to make it happen. And also, I mean, we talked about New Day and Xavier Woods. You've become a fixture on the up, up, down, down stuff on YouTube. I'm not much of a gamer myself, but I know you are. And you've had a lot of fun doing that stuff with those guys. New Day is great. I love those guys to death because they're just, they're passionately optimistic. They're always having fun. They're always smiling. Like, you can't not smile around them. And I tell people this a lot, like, Xavier Woods is one of the hardest working people I know. That guy, he's a WWE superstar. He's turned a passion for video games into this insanely popular YouTube channel. He's, I think he has his PhD in early childhood education, doing this all while wrestling. So, and I tell people all the time, like, a lot of times I sit there and if I feel like I'm working hard, if I feel like, yeah, you know, I'm putting in all this work. I'll literally think, I'm like, hey, I'll see what he's accomplished. I'm like, nah, bro, you're not working hard enough. Like, there's a lot more you can do. So, yeah, I, I, I love those guys to death. It's just being a part of that whole up, up, down, down crew, literally from its inception all the way to where it is now, over a million subscribers on YouTube. It's fantastic. Like, yeah, I love it. I, if, I, if I could do that forever, I would. Well, speaking of doing it forever, how long do you see yourself doing this costume design stuff for WWE? In all honesty, I don't know. Like, I love what I do. I don't feel like I'm working when I do it. It gets tedious at times when I'm just locked away in a room. But like, I actually, I'm actually having fun doing what I'm doing. But at, at the end of the day, I feel like my heart and soul is storytelling. I think that's what drove me to wrestling. 
aside from the athletics of it, I just I like doing flips. But even with the gear now, I always try to imbue a little bit of story into every set of gear. So like you'll notice with Mercedes, a lot of times whenever she has a really big match or anything coming up, you'll see the pink and yellow come out. Because I had made her first set of gear when she first started wrestling on the indies and it was yellow, pink and black. I remember it. Yes. Yeah. So we like so we always, you know, we always try to like skew to that whenever anything big happens so when she first became a heel in nxt she was wearing uh yellow and pink when they did the nxt takeover respect the first time women have ever headlined a wwe special she was wearing yellow and pink so it's important to me to see that through line that little story between the gear it doesn't matter if other people see it but if they pick up on it it's really good speaking of uh Mercedes gear. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, of course, a big influence on her. And I know that you did some gear for her, I think for WrestleMania, that was inspired by Eddie Guerrero, right? Yeah. Oh, so, okay. First of all, seeing that gear on a Barbie doll is amazing to me. Like, (laughs) we had been wondering, we had been wondering if that was ever going to become a figure. And the fact that it was the first set of gear on a Barbie doll that was released as a Comic Con exclusive when the first line first came out was just like mind blowing. Just seeing that it was oh it's awesome but um yeah so her first mania we had decided we wanted to go with a you know eddie guerrero theme and i remember just trying my hardest to talk her into wearing pants because she wanted to wear shorts which is why if you notice she, she has an eddie guerrero pair of shorts also so she wanted to wear shorts i was trying to talk her into wearing pants and she was she wasn't sure about it and it got to the point that i was like all right you know what i'm making you pants and i'm making you shorts and we're going to try them both on and you're going to decide decide then. So when she put on the pants, she was like, all right, we'll go with the pants. I mean, I know I know a lot of people out there, they're wondering like how that would come across, like if it would be frowned upon or whatever. Like it was for her. It wasn't so much for if the fans would like it. It was something special to her. And it turned out that Eddie's daughter, Shawl, and his wife, Vicky, like they loved it. And then we saw them a week later, either that week or a week later in Houston. And, you know, they were so happy that mercedes had done it because you know shawl and mercedes were in fcw together and she knew how much her dad meant to mercedes as a person and so it just to see her devote that much of her energy into paying homage to her dad like really meant a lot there that's uh that's tremendous uh brian you got anything else for our friend mikazi here just uh, nothing but appreciation for you coming on and and, and i think uh not just for coming on here, but appreciation for the time that I think we've spent in locker rooms and spent in the ring together. I, and not just because you're on this podcast, but truly, truly one of my favorite opponents, uh, one of the best guys that that I've ever been in the ring with, and somebody who I don't. I mean, you talked about you did get some chances to appear on TV and in Ring of Honor, but to me, you're a guy that probably hasn't gotten the due that he deserves. So. You know, as one professional to another, I just want you to know how much I, I respect and appreciate uh, all the times we got to lock horns. Oh, thank you very much, man. It means a lot. And like, I just, I know one of my goals was to always, like, one of my goals in wrestling was just to become someone that younger guys would want to go up to and ask for advice. You know, they would ask to watch their match and, you know, let them know what I thought. And to this day, I never thought that I would be the type of person that would be in that position, but. It started happening and I was more than, you know, more than welcome to give my advice to any guys about what was going on in the ring. And I still have hundreds and hundreds of hours of things to learn as far as wrestling goes. You never stop learning. But, you know, to be able to imbue any 
whatever little knowledge I have towards them was really, it meant a lot. Yeah. And I just want to echo what Malona said, always like one of the most humble and easygoing and reliable guys in the chaotic wrestling locker room. And I'm sure it's the same way with where you are now. And it's kind of like, I mean, you talked about Brian, how, you know, he got his one chance to appear on the TV. I think, you know, in a way he's appearing on TV every week now. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> he, it's, it's there. Like you can, you can feel the uh, connection, you know? So where can people follow you online? As of right now, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at I am Mikazi. Not on Facebook. I don't have a Facebook anymore because I used to have a personal and a wrestling one. And long story short, someone decided to report my wrestling one as a fraud. So then I had to do all this different stuff. Long story short, Facebook says I can only have one Facebook page. So I have one personal one that's completely dedicated to a family. Other than that, yeah, Twitter and Instagram. Although I will be starting a YouTube channel soon. so. All right. We'll keep an eye out for that. It's really a, a great thrill to have you here on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing. Really appreciate your time, Akazi. Thanks so much. Uh, anytime. Anytime you guys want me, I'm here. I love talking to old friends, so it was a blast. And once again, thank you to Mikazi for being with us this week on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we we talked about Mikazi in this podcast. This podcast is about him. Yeah, we want to respect people's personal lives. Yeah, exactly. So if you're looking for the salacious details of his personal life, you're not getting it here. But I think we had a very good episode, a very good discussion, very good insight. On- yeah, he, he made mention of his personal life, but we just were not going to get in the details. We wanted to bring you what it's like to work for WWE as a costume designer, which is pretty damn awesome. Yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. Let us know on Twitter at the WPAN your feedback on this because every week we do something called Merv Griffin Time that is a talkback segment where we interact with you, the listener. So tweet us at the WPAN on Twitter with your take on this week's episode, your thoughts in our discussion with Mikazi. Use the hashtag WPAN and we'll mention you and your tweets later this week because every Thursday it's an all new all different episode of the wrestling podcast about nothing on BDA radio now you can vote at the WPAN on Twitter Monday nights to decide what we discuss on the show each week and you can also download past episodes of this very podcast because as they come off that NAI network feed they get added over there it is all on the wrestling podcast about nothing feed on your favorite podcast platform or you can do it all at BDA radio.com Calm. Brian, it's time for your promo about nothing. But before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsor. People ask me, what do you mean, BDARadio.com? What does the BDA stand for? The Bar Defeats Ambrose? Okay. And Rollins? <laughs> Cesaro and Sheamus got the victory last week on Raw over two of the three Shield members, with Roman Reigns and Samoa Joe making their presence felt as well. And speaking of presence, let's talk about the web presence of BDA Radio, the most unique commentary on mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the internet. They don't break news, they break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head over to BDARadio.com and check out all the latest news on UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. We are the bar, DARadio.com. Okay. Right? Well, that was hot garbage. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of time this morning to get that done, Brian. <laughs> hey, you're too busy cooking bacon. Didn't even like have any for me when I walked in the door. No, it was, it was good, though. You're a selfish prick. Okay, t- it's time for this week's promo. Well, nothing. The year, Brian, is 1990. And it is ICW. Oh, man. You're going to the well again, huh? 
Yes, it's the future IWCCW, and we are joined once again by Donna with the Teen Report. My friend Donna. Yes, <laughs> and she is presenting the Wrestler of the Month for June 1990. It is GQ Madison. So let's go over to Donna right now for this week's promo about nothing. It's going to be special. Hi, I'm Donna, your hostess for the ICW Teen Report. And with me right now is the man that you've chosen to be Wrestler of the Month for June 1990, Mr. GQ Madison. Thank you, Doss. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for stopping by. Sure. So tell me, where's your partner, Al Cornbread Phillips? Well, I had other commitments. Uh, he's wrestling in another area today, but uh, I'm going alone, so but I hope I'll be all right today. All right. I was wondering if you'd mind if I'd ask you a couple questions. Oh, no, yeah, sure. All right. The first question is from Michelle Michaels, who writes in and wants to know what your initials GQ stand for. Well, the initials stand for Gentleman's Quarterly, which uh, I used to be a model for. I did a few shots for him, and I stuck with the name. I figured it'd be a good name. Thanks for clarifying that. Magazine before. Yeah, I thought I'd seen you before. <laughs> the second question is from Courtney Williams, who wants to know what your most prized possession is. I'd have to say my most prized possession would be my family. They stuck with me through a lot of uh, bad times I went through in this business. And uh, when I was coming up, I was down and out. I was getting beat a lot. But uh, I'd have to, you know, I love them very much and they love me. And that has to be my most prized possession in my life. That's so sweet. And my last question was written in from Jason Shoup. And he wants to know what your future career ambitions are. Well, I. Hope to, you know, of course, I'm working very hard in the wrestling business, and someday I hope to make it, uh, into, you know, very big. I, you know, I'm very thankful the ICW gave me the shot they have, and um, I'm hope, hopefully I'll do a good job for them, and I'll be moving up. All right. Well, we're almost out of time, but thanks a lot for stopping by. Pleasure, anytime. And congratulations on being chosen June Wrestler of the Month for 1990. Thank you very much. I'll see you later. I think Donna was a little smitten there. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he almost said he wanted to go to the WWF. <laughs> yes, I'm, ho- I'm hoping to make it to... Somewhere big, I guess. <laughs> he did think better of it in the end. Well, the IWC wasn't big. <laughs> ICW. Or ICW, whatever the hell it is. Well, you saw the production value. <laughs> well, he, he was teaming with Al Cornbread Phillips. Ooh, all right. As the team of Ebony and Ivory. So you know, you know what was going on there. Uh, so. I'm thinking Donna was probably popular with the fellas, huh? Backstage, yeah. you mean? Yeah, backstage. Pro- probably. <laughs> <laughs> Un- unbelievable. The th- I mean, the- I guess she lasted just a few months. I think this is the last one that we have in these series with Donna. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. That's that's a shame. I'm going to miss the. What, is the- what do you think Donna looks like these days? I don't know. Same hair, probably. It's all <laughs> teased up. Unbelievable. I like how they- they're there for an interview, and they're standing there, and then her first thing is, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions? <laughs> he just <should laughs> said no. <laughs> it stands for Gentlemen's Quarterly, yeah. Brian, if you didn't know. I thought I saw you a few times. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, GQ Madison. I don't think he went on to any success. I know his tag team partner, TD Madison, is the future Tommy Dreamer. Oh, goodness. Yeah, but I don't think GQ Madison 
hit those heights. Goodness. He didn't uh, end up making it big as he uh, as he wanted to there, <laughs> but he couldn't say. Uh, Tommy Dreamer, huh? It always comes back to Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> it all comes back to Tommy Dreamer <laughs> in the end. Uh, well, thank you to David Bixenspan who got that uh, thing together on YouTube. Thanks to him. And you heard this promo about nothing. If you want to see that YouTube video, find the link to the video in the description of this episode on the NAI Wrestling Network. Brian, you're hitting the highways and byways, crisscrossing this great nation of ours, plying your trade as a professional wrestler. And you got dates? I do, Mike. And as promised, big news. We're breaking here. Uh-oh. Do we got like a breaking news thing you can... <laughs> Thank you so much. Mike, this Saturday night, I'm heading to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You are. The 2300 Arena, Ring of Honor International TV taping. I will be taking part. Oh, my. Uh, I return as predicted on this very show. Yes. To Ring of Honor. Happy to do so. Very excited. Uh, so that's this Saturday night in Philadelphia. Got a nice week off after that, Mike, for the go. Christmas holiday. Perfect. Yes, and then uh, returning right back on the 29th of December for Top Rope Promotions in Fall River, Massachusetts, a Spindle City Rumble, a two-ring battle royal uh, that I will no doubt be winning and uh, be on my way to becoming the Top Rope Promotions Heavyweight Champion. I can see it. <laughs> Find Top Rope Promotions on uh, all social media platforms for ticket and card information, brownpapertickets.com. And then New Year's Eve, Mike, I'll be in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, F Beyond Wrestling's uh, New Year's Eve Spectacular. Not quite sure what I'll be doing yet there, but I think the day this podcast uh, drops, they'll have full card information out for this show. But uh, I'll be spending New Year's with uh, Beyond Wrestling and the Beyond Wrestling fans. Uh, find beyondwrestlingonline.com and go to powerbomb.tv to subscribe to get Beyond Wrestling content and uh, beyondwrestlingonline.com for ticket information. Who are you kissing at midnight? You gonna be there? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. This might be an offer I can't resist. Well, maybe, maybe one, maybe one lucky, lucky fan, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> or several. <laughs> Brian Malonis at Comcast.net. That is the email if you want to book the kingpin or at Brian Malonis on Twitter. DM him there. Putting over podcasts. That is the Facebook group where we're discussing pro wrestling talk. Make sure you go and join on Facebook. Just put in the search bar "Putting Over Podcasts" and add yourself. Booking the territory. Pro wrestling podcast friends of ours mike mills harbody harper doc turner and they're talking about wrestling twice a week on sundays and thursdays make sure to check them out mike mills.podbean.com and our vantage point the retro wrestling podcast great friends of the wrestling podcast about nothing joe Morata and michael quinn they are talking about the best of the past of pro wrestling so go to ovppodcast.com for more on them and the rundown wrestling podcast with jason stewart and a cast of thousands it is all week long they got stuff going on in that feed just subscribe to the rundown wrestling podcast feed and of course we hope you'll continue to listen to the new age insiders wrestling network all week long for dc and doc talk rant with ant the shattered glass cast and of course the new age insiders themselves all here on the nai wrestling network so subscribe today and we'll be back on Thursday with the Wrestling Podcast about nothing on BDA Radio. Just search WPAN on your favorite podcatcher to find us. Or you can find us at BDARadio.com or TheWPAN.com. Then join us next Monday here for the WPAN on the New Age Insiders Wrestling Network, episode number 87. Till then, he is the Kingpin Brian Malonis. I'm Mike Crockett. Big ups to Mucko. And thanks for nothing.